Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com we are, uh, oh yeah, hey, good, good, hey, uh, it's, it's, it's clearly 2 p.m. on a Wednesday, and so it's cannabis legalization news time. We've had a huge week in cannabis legalization news. Illinois became, hey, uh, Miggy, what number is it? 11. 11, the big number 11, and we also have a guest joining us. It's Andy Potisha. Say hi, Andy. Hello. Awesome. Uh, well, we're going we're gonna to round up the news, and then Andy's going to discuss with us uh, his unique knowledge about something that's so hot right now, the costs of getting into uh, a cannabis cultivation facility in Illinois, they're called the Craft Grows, or a dispensary. But first, I think the biggest news of the week was, of course, that uh, J.B. Pritzker signed it into law, now it's number 11, but there's been a lot of other really cool federal news. Uh, and maybe have you heard anything on the West Coast? Is there anything that, that you're working on for weednews.co? No, not, not, not me per se. I mean, State by State's been great also with New York and uh, uh, Texas and Ohio, but those are all more medical, and one is uh, decriminalization. Oh, yeah. the Banking Act. Yeah, and the Banking Act. Let's, let's, let me, uh, let me just, you know, I'm not sure if I can yeah, present to everybody. That's another thing. So FinCEN did just release, and it says that FinCEN publishes these on a quarterly basis, but of course it takes them a little bit of time to get the um, actual data. So this came out this past week, and uh, it's current as of April 1st. So when the quarter ends here uh, in about a week for June, these numbers will be updated, and then FinCEN will publish that in a, another couple of months. But it, you can see the sharp uptick right there, uh, Q3 2018, basically J.B. Pritzker you know, uh, won, and then some, maybe this is also some New York banks. They really don't publish those, but this is the number of uh, banking institutions that are public or that are lending to marijuana and interestingly enough uh, the thing that you see when you are lending to marijuana a lot and hopefully my screen was was on there is that there was a lot of, uh, they filed non-disclosure agreements and all that other stuff to kind of keep it secret but uh, this uptick in and a fairly large uptick according to the number of banks that are actually banking cannabis somewhat corresponds to the stuff that's been coming out of Congress. And this is like a really fresh news. This is from the marijuana moment just from like a half hour ago. Oh, nice. The, uh, yeah, right. And if you're not familiar with what's going on in the federal level, uh, especially when it comes to banking and cannabis, it has to do with two things. One is the defunding of the war against uh, marijuana for everything, not just medical, but state law marijuana. And then second is the, the continuing pushing of the Safe Banking Act, placing it into uh, the funding bills itself. And, and as we get up to the fiscal cliff, the fiscal cliff happens every year at September 30th because that's when the federal budget actually ends, that uh, the budget that will be passed that will continue to fund, that's how you know, hemp was legalized, that's how the first war on uh, marijuana was defunded, Back in 2014, through Rock Bar Amendment, just for the uh, the medical. So it looks like the budget for 2020, plus Illinois being uh, going open for business, uh, will make the it will really signal just like you know, it's time to go. It's time to lend to uh, cannabis businesses, and I I would not be surprised if New York next year legalizes. And I think 2020 is going to be the biggest year for cannabis legalization ever. 
What about you, Maggie? No, I totally agree. I mean, especially since the House agrees to protect the, the legal states. I mean, that's a huge uh, uh, step towards legalization, like you said, just like jury nullification, but in a financial way of how to attack prohibition. Um, well, imagine if you, okay, there's jury nullification. Now, uh, that's great, but you're already being prosecuted. You are on, on, you're on trial. Imagine if you could just stand up during the trial and be like, excuse me, Your Honor, there's no money for this trial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's for sure. I, uh, defunding the war on drugs, I think it's a great, the best way to put it. Um, FYI, when we were going through, when you had the chart on the, uh, on the screen, on yeah. YouTube, I was the predominant screen. Uh, that's, that gets back to, I really need, and if anybody's out there that's majoring in YouTube, uh, and also social media SEO and has a paralegal degree, uh, I will hire you because uh, I am doing this all myself. And it's sad. Somebody could be uh, managing this, and then I could get back to work for the clients, which are just, just blowing up my phone, and it's going great. But uh, that's one of the reasons why we brought our guest on. He has actually designed and built um, uh, cannabis facilities in Illinois. Uh, Andy. Yes. Uh, how, many, how many of these facilities have you built? Um, well, in Illinois, we have completed four dispensaries and one cultivation and are working on uh, one cultivation and another dispensary at this point. And that's just in Illinois. We've been doing work in, in uh, other states outside of Illinois as well. Oh, yeah. Eight, we're working on our eighth state, actually. Uh, You're right. the industry and MSO. I'm sorry? A multi-state operator. Multi-state operator, exactly. And we didn't intend to be. Uh, the uh, the whole our whole entry point into this uh, is uh, is has, has been interesting. And uh, the fact that as a result of getting into this vertical, we've been able to be a uh, a national company uh, pretty much overnight, actually. So you guys, how did you get into the industry? So we got into the industry about uh, five years ago now. One of our commercial clients uh, called me up one day and said, hey, uh, I need your frequent flyer number. And I said, really? I said, why is that? He said, because we're going on a field trip. And I said, okay, you want to clue me in as to what it's for? He said, yeah, we just won three medicinal cannabis licenses in Illinois. And I know that we don't have any idea what we're doing. And I know you don't have any idea what you're doing in this, in this realm. So we're going to figure it out together. And we have. We, we successfully designed and built uh, three uh, dispensaries here in Illinois, one in Mokina, one in Morris, and one in Deerfield. And, and um, I'm gonna, can I, I want to share these because I, I saw sure. your website and with a lot of the design builds that you talked about, and I want to discuss those more, uh, you know, it looks like you've refurbished very ancient buildings, or not ancient, like hundred year old buildings, I guess. So uh, one of them, yes, one of them was a, uh, was a restaurant uh, that uh, had the picture that you've got up on the screen right there. Is that this? That, that's that one right there. Yeah, that bar was taken. That was the only thing that was salvaged out of this restaurant. And, uh, uh, you know, we created, we created our experience around that. The difference between uh, what this particular client uh, was looking to accomplish uh, versus what was out there, which was really the point of the field trip, was, uh, you know, what can we do that would be different than everybody else? Uh, you know, clearly, it, uh, when we started this, and up until January 1st, it'll still be for uh, medicinal reasons. And so, uh, you know, we looked at it from the perspective of, you know, what if your, you know, 90-year-old grandmother uh, came into uh, a situation where it was recommended to her that this medicine would be helpful. Um, you're talking about somebody, you know, Illinois is, even though we're a, a blue state, we're typically conservative in our thinking and we don't really change rapidly. Of course, like even though with uh, Chicago, I, I guess you're right, it's even still more conservative considering the, the strictures and the constraints they put under adult use bill. Correct, correct. And so we looked at it from how could we, what kind of an experience would your 90 year old grandmother be able to deal with and have a successful outcome if she needed this medication and she came to a facility to get it. Well, we knew after seeing what was out in Arizona and Colorado, which was the, um, 
destination of our field trip five years ago that most of what was out there at the time was either, um, uh, you know, a doctor's office or it was an Apple store and uh, neither one of which would be very appealing to a 90 year old person who only knows of cannabis as seeing people get arrested for it on the nightly news. And so we decided that given the premise that our particular client was, was patient centric and not just product centric, that we would try to create an experience for them that would allow them to make sure that clients coming in would feel comfortable, that they'd be able to walk in and not feel like they had to, you know, pass uh, uh, such a security, even though security is very important and very much required in Illinois. Going into that vein, I want to share this, this, uh, this picture, you were said like the nine year old grandmother and this, it reminds me of my, because she was Swedish, but I mean, this is a very old, beautiful building right here. And what is this that we're looking at? Is this one of the dispensaries uh, that you created? Yeah. So that's, so that's the outside of the photo that you showed with the bar on the inside. That's a different one. Um, so, so the, um, all of the dispensaries that we've done in Illinois have been in existing structures. So two of them were inside commercial strip centers and two of them were freestanding buildings. Uh, one in Litchfield, Illinois, which is about 45 minutes south of Springfield. That's a uh, freestanding building that we gutted and did some cosmetic work on the outside. And then the one that you just showed that was green, that was the one that was the old restaurant with the bar. And uh, it was actually a red building that looked like more like a barn. And uh, we, we literally just uh, filled in some blanks and changed some, some openings that didn't really belong with our design, painted it up and really preserved the inside, which, which did a, a couple of different things. A, it gave the experience still for, of comfort for the client and B, it outwardly, which was very important to the client and to us, it didn't really change the image of the community. Um, the community was used to seeing that restaurant there for years. And basically all they see now is the fact it changed colors and that sign's got a different name on it. Hey, Andy, do you, uh, besides the dispensary, how many uh, grow operations have you guys uh, helped build? So in Illinois, we completed one. We are in process of working on a second one. And we are in phase two of the one we completed. Uh, we're drawing that so that we could build that, hopefully, before the first of the year. That's just in, in Illinois. We've done grow facilities and are working on phase twos in Maryland, in Ohio, in um, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, so uh, we've, we've got a few under our belt. So, uh, with, uh, cause for me, I, I think like a dispensary is just like a storefront. So, you know, you just, you know, great architecture and building is always beautiful. You can appreciate it, whether it's a, a spa setting or uh, your home. But like for me, I, I think the, the grow facilities are going to be like the hardest and, and one of the most challenging parts of this whole industry, which is a great niche if somebody with like you who has previous HVAC experience and all this other stuff. Um, you guys provide like a year long support because, you know, depending on climate, depending on region, you know, you're dealing with different humidity issues and different uh, uh, other types of environmental issues that you really try to contain your plant the best you can. Sure. So let me let me comment on two things. First of all, um, at this point, with the requirements of medicinal uh, dispensaries and what I am likely going to what I believe is likely going to be on the recreational side, that um, it's a little bit more than just somebody that knows how to do a good tenant finish out, because there are security factors that go into this. There is there the security factors. Those are correct. Especially law itself. Yeah, especially in Illinois. And then of course there's operational, you know, operational function that every every uh, operator works a little bit differently from how a patient's greeted to how they get the medicine to how they leave. And that's just from the patient side. Then you've got the entire situation of how medicine gets brought into the facility, where it gets stored, how it gets inventoried, when it gets inventoried, how it gets kept track of. Uh, and that's just from the medicine standpoint. It makes sense that you're very familiar and skilled with this because all of these are built in 
to the uh, hundreds of pages long uh, law that Illinois has passed, and these are all detailed requirements that you need to put before the with the application that you submit to the state. And if you're approved for these licenses, they become a part of the license, and you have to follow them. So you have a lot of familiarity with building each aspect of the facility so that it is compliant with the law? That, that's correct. And every law in every state is different. There are states that require that what got submitted in the application gets built to the letter of those drawings, every detail. You can't even move a door six inches without letting them know the reason why you're doing it. And then you've got some other states that give you some leeway based on existing conditions, based on nuances and changes in the law, based on nuances and changes in their procedures of how they enforce the law. You know, the, the, the thing about all of this, which is it's interesting and yet it's also challenging, is that we're, everybody's figuring this out as we go because the industry is so new. And yeah, so and it becomes a problem, though, because I want to talk about the costs as well, because I'll have... Uh, clients, they're always like, you know, it's really easy. The easiest thing to price in the cannabis industry is at the retail level where you're going to be selling the grams. But then they talk about, well, how much is it going to cost to get into to business? And that's something I hope we'll discuss here in the future. But it's so difficult to say, like, look, I don't know how much it's necessarily going to be because you need this and this and this and this and this. And most businesses, they open, they start doing business. And then if they need an employee handbook or these types of security policies, but they're right. all for Right. Right. Yeah. So and yeah. So let me put the cost um, discussion on the side for a second because I just want to comment about uh, the one question with regards to how we handle our clients um, and service them. Uh, so yes, we have lots of experience now doing these types of projects based on the requirements and the size of the projects that they are. We are very different in our approach to how we look at our clients. We have always been client-centric, and what, what that means is that we want our clients to look at us as their design-build partners. And we, the way we have been set up from the inception of our business has lent itself to that type of relationship in that we look at every project not as a one-time project, Project, how much money can we make, finish it, go on to the next project. We look at every project that we're offering our clients this partnership so that they can go on and do what they do best while we're doing what we do best. And the way we have figured out that we can sit on the same side of the table of them as them is based on the way we operate. So we don't charge as most architects and most contractors do a percentage of construction. Uh, because for, for these reasons, if you, you have no incentive to finish a job on time and you have every incentive to make it cost more money. And so we said, if we're truly going to be partners with our clients, we need to have some skin in the game. So we're going to be offering them our process and our intellectual property. And we're going to say that the project's going to take this long. And our fee is going to be a stipulated sum based on how long that's going to take. So it doesn't much matter to us if the project is 60,000, 600,000, 6 million or 60 million. If it takes six months to do, our fees are gonna be the same. And so our clients then understand that we now have an incentive to finish it on in a timely manner in the time that we agreed to. But just as importantly, we have the incentive to make sure that our client is getting the most bang for their buck without us having the incentive of trying to sell them something more. So this is one important point. And then I'll get to sort of the, the, the reason why I, I brought that up. In, in our project in downstate Illinois, our cultivation, we found out that it was in an enterprise zone. Client had no idea. Zoning is huge. Yeah, that's something that we, I'm going to be doing videos on because it's, it's big. And so it looks like you came up smack dab right into the middle of it. So, so when we found out it was an enterprise zone and realized that our clients could obtain all of the materials tax-free, we immediately went back to our client and said, we're going to rebate all this money to you. And we saved our client over a quarter of a million dollars in right. monies that they would never have known if we didn't bring it to their attention and they would never have been, have gotten the beneficiary, they would never have been the beneficiary of it if we weren't as open and transparent as we, as we operate. So, so the point of my whole 
little spiel here is that uh, we, we want our clients for life. And we, we, uh, we developed longstanding relationships. So these clients that started out with these three dispensaries here in, in Illinois acquired a dispensary and cultivation in downstate Illinois. We did those. Acquired a cultivation in Maryland. We did that. Acquired dispensaries in Maryland. We did those. Then Ohio, then Pennsylvania, then North Dakota. So a blueprint for them to have growth and you have more of a partnership aspect to them because, you know, with cannabis being uh, such the team sport that it is, it's fascinating and amazing that you're able to partner with them to bring them greater success through that transparency and honesty, which uh, in a gold rush industry, and maybe is it easier to trust somebody in a gold rush industry or in a highly regulated industry where everything's already basically a commodity and priced? You know, it's definitely a gold rush. You know, I mean, uh, I just got a phone call yesterday from a friend of mine about hemp. Uh, he's actually going to invest in uh, uh, $20,000 in a hemp farm, and they're going to do hempcrete. And he knew that I did the activist thing on the side and had some questions about the industry. And it's just kind of funny because this is like common knowledge to you and I. Uh, hey, uh, Thomas, I don't know if you remember this guy. I actually remember the book above it, the Safer book. That was by the uh, Mason Tavert and the, the guys that eventually, I think, started MPP or the, the Marijuana Safer and Alcohol, and they really spearheaded the, the Colorado legalization 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, right now, there's a, it's a prime time for, like, we have the knowledge base, which is, you know, kind of like the saying the sky is falling for the past 20 years, and now they legalize hemp, and everybody wants to get involved uh, somehow. Or cannabis, you know, the, the stigma has been slowly going away for the average consumer. I mean, I'm talking to you in my six-figure, uh, uh, you know, lab, and you're talking to me from your, your office, and, and, you know, the stigma's gone. I just, you know, there's so much more potential for this gold rush industry, and uh, definitely you want to get with somebody who's been there and has the trust, and that's why I think with the, uh, uh, the work in the construction, that vertical transition, I mean, it's just, there's so much more vertical things that can be applied in cannabis that people just don't understand. You know, uh, hey, Andy, have you seen any of the gold rush kind of like with hemp coming into your business as providing these services for adult use companies? So interestingly enough, we've we've had really no inquiries from anybody uh, yet specifically about hemp. Um, most of the inquiries outside of this particular client, because, again, you know, we we sort of we, we never really envisioned that we were going to do more than three dispensaries. And as this client started to grow. And as we went along with them and realized that this was a, a, a great opportunity for us, there are other companies on, national, on a national level that have contacted us and we're doing work for. And we do get inquiries, you know, uh, you know, periodically because people will see our website, people will hear a podcast, people will read an article that we've been in. Um, but, you know, we are, uh, you know, we're relationship guys. So, not every now we're not going to be right for every client and every client's not going to be right for us. Yeah. Hey, Andy, yeah. was there any pushback when uh, someone in the uh, board said, Hey, let's get involved in the cannabis industry. Let's do uh, grows and dispensaries. Was there any pushback in, within your company on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, there was absolutely none. And one, the funny part about all of it is if there was going to be any pushback at all, anybody that knows our entire group, they would have actually thought it might've been me. Because as, as big of a proponent, and I am a huge proponent from the medicinal side, I've actually never tried the product. And, and, and that's for a reason. When we were, when back then, what's that? It's, it's this thing. Uh, it's called cannabis deficiency. And we're not necessarily <laughs> sure it's a real thing, but it's a thing. Yeah. So back when, we were, back when I was in college, the only way to get cannabis, which was never called cannabis back then, it was either pot or marijuana or weed, you know, was to smoke it. And we can discuss, but you know. <laughs> exactly. So, so we, uh, I wouldn't smoke anything, so I never tried it. And, uh, you know, now, uh, and, and people who know me and knew me in college, for them to know that I'm involved in this industry, certainly at this level, they, I know they're chuckling. And so, uh, you know, we, 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 because I think that everybody that I know has done in my office and everybody I know that, I'm associated with friends and family, family has done enough research on the medicinal benefits to, to cannabis that 
it's the biggest no-brainer. And then, of course, you can throw in the recreational part of it, which, you know, yes, and it's a yes and. The, the, the medicinal part of it is just, I've got a son that's got uh, ADHD, and he's been on every synthetic you can possibly be on. And I can't wait for it to get rec- to recreational here so that he can get off these chemicals, get on something natural, because I know what the benefits are. I've, I've, you know, they're incredible. Facilities, so you kind of know what's going in the flower itself which is really yeah. interesting. I mean, like one of the things about the regulations that appear is that the closer that you get to the plant and the flower itself and, and how it works and what people say about it, the quicker your um, prejudice is of considering it marijuana, which just basically under the, the law now means cannabis with THC present just goes. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, look, I, I you know, when, when I first started reading up about it, I read uh, Time Magazine did a whole expose on the history of, of cannabis, which if you haven't read it, I'm sure you probably have. You should, you should read it because it's fascinating from the time you know, it came to the United States and what people, the, the campaign against it. And it's amazing how successful for so many years it had been uh, when you look at that in relation to prohibition and alcohol, uh, which didn't nearly have the same success of, uh, of, uh, of restraint and uh, uh, illegality of it for, uh, as, as cannabis has. And I, and, and I think that, that uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely, you use the word gold rush. I say it's, it's a snowball effect. It's, at this point, the horse is so far out of the barn. This is, it's going to happen. Uh, it's exciting for a lot of reasons. It's, for me, having been involved in the construction and the design construction industry for 29 years and have done everything from, and still do from high end residential to boutique commercial to uh, other types of, uh, of commercial value add type work. It's, it's really been exciting uh, because you're, you're getting to work with people that are, are incredibly smart and they're, they're, they, they really have knowledge about what their product does. They have knowledge about what kind of environment their product needs to live and grow in. And, and really, our, our function is to be facilitators and help them articulate that on paper and ultimately in reality, that which they can't do themselves. And so, you know, we stay in our lane and we're, we try to be good listeners. And it's, it's just fascinating because... You know all these new products and all these new new ways to use the to use uh, the product uh, is has just been it's just been invig- reinvigorating and exciting. Well, I think it's great. Like we got a lot of comments right now. Uh, people are uh, you know they're impressed that you talked about uh, getting medical for your son, and uh, um, you know just the fact that you've come to that realization where you're like you know. I'm tired of pumping all this crap into my kid. Why not try something normal or, or organic? You know, we, we, we've been in such a mindset of like a, something that has to come in a bottle. Why does it have to come in a bottle to, 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 to try, you know? Some of the, the products themselves, like the, the packaging is now getting a lot more artsy and like novel. But I mean, I remember the first few times it would look like it was coming in a bottle. And like, of course, it would be childproof, but you know. Right. Yeah, no, right. Why not have a, a holistic approach to anything? You know, if uh, like you're talking about with the lack of uh, THC, you know, it's just like the lack of vitamin C, you get scurvy. The lack of THC, I mean, we get a little edgy. But <laughs> and the uh, the case that kind of shows maybe this whole uh, uh, cannabinoid deficiency isn't a real thing. But who knows? Yeah. By the way, I think I, I think that's really an important comment as far as the the organic nature of. Of, of this because, you know, I think we've seen the whole shift in um, uh, the food we buy. You know, people, you know, we, we see so much about all the chemicals that go into food and people are, are buying food in, uh, in restaurants that are farm to table. They're buying food in, in uh, grocery stores that are organic. And so it's, it's just, it's, and then of course, throw in the whole, you know, what chemicals do to you, like the whole opio- opioid crisis. Yeah. And it, it, it makes it a real easy shift for people's mindset to say, hey, you know what? Let's see what this is all about. This, this, uh, the stigma is, is gone or going away. Okay. And uh, There, man. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. let's do it. Now, 
One issue that I thought might be problematical uh, for the people that want to get into the industry would be not knowing, not having the depth of knowledge that you have from your experience building all these things. So if we could buy, build like a spec craft grow and a spec dispensary, and then we would grow hemp flower in it. And we would grow the most beautiful hemp flower, just like they grow the most beautiful uh, cannabis with THC flower in these things. But we would use this facility so that we could provide tours and then talk to would-be entrants to the industry, and we'll call it dank supply, let's say. And so you'd come down and you would explain to them, well, this is how much it'll probably cost, and this is how we do it uh, for refurbishing purposes. So if, if you were going to help me, uh, and if it's design construction concepts, that's right? So design construction concepts is our, um, that's our high-end custom residential and boutique commercial vertical. Our, our cannabis vertical is cannabis facility construction. So we've got, we've got a, as I think I mentioned, we, that, that wasn't a vertical. We had, we had two verticals, really, design construction concepts and mosaic construction. So, so it, well, exactly. We have the, and so, this uh, vertical that you guys just spoke of. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, I need a cannabis facility. I've, I'm going to use you for my plans for the license. How much should uh, I in, have set aside to open a dispensary, let's say? So the thing about both dispensaries and cultivations is it really depends on how big or how small they are. Because you, you, there are things that you can leverage and amortize over footage that really affect the per square foot cost. So, for instance, um, you need a certain kind of vault for the product that has certain kind of security. Now, if you are taking that vault and putting it in a 1,500 square foot dispensary, the cost per square foot is tremendous versus you know, or the, well, the cost per square foot in relation to the entire cost is tremendous in relation to, say, a 5,000 square foot uh, dispensary. So, um, I mean, I can tell you that we've done dispensaries that are as small as 1,500 square feet for a couple of $300,000. And we've done them as large as 5,000 square feet, and they've been nearly a million dollars with the same program. Uh, you know, so, you know, you could do the math per square foot. I, it, it's, I don't like really quoting square foot prices in general because for two reasons. A, they're really not ground up structures. So you're talking about existing conditions you have to deal with, which is no different than any remodeling you do, whether it was residential or any commercial. And B, you've got these challenges of, you know, if a vault costs, 50 grand, it's costing 50 grand, whether it's in 1,500 square feet or if it's in 5,000 square feet. Yeah, the, the actual regulations themselves really do dictate a lot of the costs for that purpose. Now, that's, that's, that's refurbs. Do, the vast majority of them out there are probably refurbs. I've never seen any cannabis dispensary that is anything really besides some place in, in an existing uh, commercial real estate building. But um, I have seen more along the lines of construction when it comes to the cultivation space. Have you built any cultivation or has it all been refurbed? And if so, what have you been refurbing? So, yeah, that's another good question. They've all been refurbed. And basically, our clients identified property that was in the right area that was distressed, not from the necessarily from the physical perspective, but from the financial perspective. And so they were able to get manufacturing uh, facilities. So the one down in uh, downstate Illinois actually was a roller skate wheel manufacturing company. Wow. Uh, and uh, so that was interesting. Uh, the one in Maryland and the one that we did in Pennsylvania, those were uh, machinery uh, manufacturing uh, companies. And so um, uh, they've read, they have ranged everywhere from uh, brick and block uh, warehouse type structures to basically what I would call a butler building, which is a steel, a steel uh, erected building that uh, you'd see. Uh, well, they call it a butler building because of butler aviation, you know, many, many years ago, that's what they would build airplane hangers out of. Oh, airplane hangar. Now I've learned something. Thank you very much, Andy. Butler building means where they build airplanes, which makes no sense. I was thinking it's like a butler's pantry and they're making toast. 
with the facilities though is your biggest issue like with ventilation and whatnot because i mean that's a huge thing with grows you know you gotta have constant ventilation sometimes i know some places have uh, uh reverse vacuuming where uh the, the, the facility where the, the grow is at will be when you open a door, you know, it all comes out in the air pressure. So is that one of the yeah. bigger issues with uh, the grows in a new spot? Yeah, so we're basically building buildings within buildings. And that's been the interesting thing. So, you know, and we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot along the way. And that is, you know, we understand, especially on the processing side, because all of the cultivations that we've done have been a combination of cultivation and processing. So the humidity control is is just as important as, you know, the air quality control, uh, yeah. certainly on the processing side, as I'm sure you both know. And so it's been a challenge for us to be able to uh, get the right equipment into place with the existing structures that we have in order to be able to create that environment. And, and a lot of that, too, is that, um, and I think this is the most fascinating part about the business, is that processors and growers, uh, I equate them really to sort of chefs in a restaurant, that you know, they know what they want to get out at the end of the day, and, and they're going to tell us what conditions that we, that, that we have to account for in order for them to be able to produce the products that they actually know that they can. Sure. And it's, it's for us to figure out how to do that okay. with, with equipment that's out there, with engineers that are out there. And as I'm sure you've, you've both seen and heard that just as everything is changing so rapidly on the licensing end, uh, it's changing just as rapidly on the technology end, that there are new products coming out all the time. When you're creating these, I've seen machines that are operating the entire facility, like all of it, like a very, very sophisticated computer, uh, you know, kind of like HAL from uh, Space Odyssey that's con controlling the entire uh, spaceship. I mean, like, what types of, uh, of stuff are they... Uh, installing these things that are taking care of the automation because that's I remember that is actually one of the parts that was uh, asked in the Illinois craft grows and it's it's supposed to be in your application so you know how would yeah. you address that so it's interesting because um, when we first got into this and we first met the the initial grower that started with our client he basically said that he had gone into a bunch of facilities that looked at it from not the grow side, but from the high-tech efficiency manufacturing side. And they basically tore out a lot of that type of stuff because there's something to be said about, especially in a craft grow, about the human interaction with the plants. You know, the plants are like people, right? You know, not every plant can take the same amount of nutrients. Not every plant uh, will take the same amount of water and or, or uh, react the same way to lighting. Uh, and so... You have to be in a position where you are able to monitor it and be able to deal with changes as you see them. Now, obviously, when you're talking about 50 or 100,000 square foot grow, you either have, an, you have to have an awful lot of people or you have to have some help. So there's a combination between what is being used for control, and that is setting temperature controls and readings so that you don't have to be on site all day and all night to monitor, and of course, those are alarmed when things are, you know, get out of out of sync, so that somebody can react to it right away. Uh, same thing on the fertigation side. Same thing on the lighting side. Uh, so it's 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 been really interesting, and there and there are companies that are literally developing as as we have this conversation. Here in Seattle, and I'm not sure in Chicago they've already happened, but we have a Canacon, and it's a you know convention of people of different uh, trades who want to be involved in cannabis. And I've seen uh, products uh, like apps, like you were talking about, that monitor the uh, uh, you know the temperature and you know will give you alerts. Um, are you using these guys? Are you contracting them out? Or are you just installing their equipment into part of your process? Or are you involved that deep into it? So we are, and actually. I, our outlook about this is exactly the way we got into it. We, we weren't the initial people that got into cannabis. So we had the good fortune of seeing all of the mistakes and challenges and failures that people before us had made. And we are trying to do the same thing when it comes to equipment, that we don't want to be the first to be trying something out without having some kind of a track record, even if it's just 
very, very, uh, in very short span. So Apple, not Samsung. You you let Samsung make the the new novel stuff great, and your your cell phone folds, and then you wait and you see how it works, and then you employ those tactics. Yeah, you know, because there's there's like I say, there's new equipment coming out all the time, and 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 that's not necessarily standalone equipment. There are companies out there that are saying, okay, there's the the particular piece of HVAC equipment that's been on the market for years, and these are the challenges with it. What can we do to make it helpful for our industry by putting an add-on on it? It's almost like, you know, uh, an app that helps an app, you know, yeah. per se. And so, so we've been very interested in that. Our client is, is – so we work on this concurrently. Our client does research, our engineers do research, we do research, and we talk about these things and, and, and really, really drill down into, okay, if we're going to try this, what really is our risk economically, physically? Um, you know, how does it affect our labor force? How does it affect, you know, getting back to the conversation we had earlier, you know, you got a brand new product and it's a significant part of what it is that you're using for processing or for grow, and it breaks down. Where do you get parts? Where do you, you know, who's got experience to service anything like that? So, you know, we try, we try to really look at this thing holistically and take very calculated conservative risks as to what we would be willing to advise our clients. So, uh, you know, we might just take a room. We might take a series of rooms and try something out so, it's, so the whole facility isn't, subject to, well, my God, if it fails, now not only do we have the expense of replacing it, but we can't do anything. Yeah, you know, speaking of your small facility, like the little experiment, um, so is there any tech out there that you worked with? So I saw something a while back, uh, probably a year ago, and I thought it was a great idea, where uh, the lights, they incorporated lights, and it had to do with the heat and the airflow coming through that. They use that heat to help maintain the, the air. Is there something new and weird that you've worked with that you're like, wow, that's, I didn't see that, you know, coming? Not yet, but we're in process. So the facility that we're working on in Maryland has got a system to be able to help the major. Um, so we've been using um, Aon systems of prepackaged units for our uh, heating and cooling, uh, specifically our cooling of these rooms and um, they've been challenged and Ann's been around Ann's made by carrier and they've been challenged. Uh, they've been around forever. Obviously carrier has and Ann units are used in, in big buildings, especially schools. And they've been challenged with being able to uh, create an environment where you can get the humidity down as far as you can with say, for instance, a chiller system, um, which is much more building centric versus local, which is one of the reasons why, uh, our growers insisted on having prepackaged forced air HVAC systems because if a unit goes down, the whole building's not going down. You're able to isolate that. So yeah. one of the systems that we're that we're just looking into now is a system that uses um, uh, uh, uses salt. It's a it's a it's a, um, a desiccant system actually that that is able to work with. I'm sorry. Desiccant. It's a it's a fancy word for. It's a fancy word for being able to run air actually over salt coils and be able to pull the air out of out uh, pull water out of the air. And so yeah. we're we're using that in conjunction with the Aon system. And so I'm really excited to see how that works because um, it's uh, uh, it, it's something new. It it, it sounded you know sort of so overly simplistic that it was too good to be true. But and it, it's, it's building a track record. It's, it's actually not made here in this country. It's made actually in Turkey. And uh, we are, uh, uh, you know, I'm very interested to see how, how it's going to work. Yeah, that water that, that gets extracted out, is that being reused or just being dumped out? It's actually being reused. That's pretty awesome. The, the, what's the ratio? That's in the law for, it's, it's your water recycling program. So this Correct. is perfect sense such a system would be explored for its efficiencies that it brings, but that's really cool. Yes. Well, yeah. we're about to hit our hour part too, buddy. <laughs> oh no, well let's 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 wrap it up then with uh, we got about five minutes before we gotta get back to the office. 
so if I was just going to try to get a craft grow and I'm going to be doing a refurb for a craft grow and I want to, I'm not going to be fancy. I'm going to let my grower do his thing or her thing. And uh, how much do you think it would cost uh, to put together a craft grow? Craft grows in Illinois can have to be less than 15,000 square feet and only 5,000 square feet of, uh, I want to say, flowering space. Right. So, you know, if it was only a craft grow and had no processing and it was of that size, you know, I think you're probably looking somewhere in the, you know, depending on existing conditions. So this is a, you know, a real shot in the dark range I'm going to give you. It's probably somewhere between two and a half and three and a half million bucks is probably what I'm guessing at that range, at that, at that size. And you're including security systems, HVAC systems. I mean, that's a lot of for bang for your buck, right? Yeah, I'm including everything that it would take from the beginning of it to the end, from security to HVAC to your your flower storage to your um, uh, your dry rooms, your trim rooms, your packaging rooms, everything else that in, in security area, everything else that would be in, involved in that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Those are all really, really necessary, and like uh, all those types of security and all those things, those are implicit in the actual application itself. So you can't get the license unless you make those types of disclosures to the state that that's actually what you're building and that you intend to buy all that stuff. And then you have to prove to the state that you have the financial wherewithal. So that's, that's yes. what you do. Oh, yes. Andy, I got, I got one thing for you though. Uh, for in Washington, when we went recreational, uh, there wasn't a lot of stipulations into the structures until after People already got their permits and whatnot. Um, have you done a lot of, uh, have you found yourself doing a lot of damage control because you started working on this and now the state requires a new thing? Is there a lot of that going on with you? Yeah, there's actually not. The, all the states that we, that we have worked in, for the most part, have, have been very clear with what's required. What right. hasn't been so clear is depending on what state you're in, how much leeway they give the inspectors on interpretation. So we just ran, we actually just ran into this in, in two different states. We ran into it in Michigan where there was a dispensary that we did and there was a, um, a real discrepancy between what a commercial space is required to have, which is access from anybody walking in off the street to a public bathroom versus what the laws are. And the, there was a, a huge discussion and, and the state inspector uh, who inspects buildings um, actually relented because the cannabis law had stated that you can't even be allowed into the facility unless you already had a card. So from the recreational standpoint, obviously that's a challenge. Yeah, well. but, from a, but, from, but from a medicinal standpoint, um, they, they actually won out. Now in Ohio, I can tell you that most of the inspectors out there have been given a lot of leeway for interpretation of the law. And so that's been challenging. It's been um, uh, trying to, uh, the law is gray and they're saying it's, it's charcoal gray and you're saying it's blue gray. And so uh, we've, we have been forced and my client has been forced to, adapt certain things, although we were really lucky. It was really mostly only with regards to really two things with our client. One, holding them to the letter of the law as to what they put on their application, and two, uh, security, uh, a security issue. That's always a big issue no matter what state you're in. Right. It will continue to be until more people have experience with this. Well, I don't know. Do you think we're ever going to get an Oregon situation with these types of regs where we are being so restrictive as to how they can grow this plant? Are we ever going to be trying to – have you heard what Oregon's doing, guys? As far as uh, the interstate stuff? They're trying to export yeah. I mean, interstate commerce in a federally prohibited substance. So <laughs> in Oregon signed the, the law like this week, they are going to start interstate – transportation and export of their uh, oversupply of cannabis from Oregon. Now, what happens when Nevada creates their own law like that where they can do interstate acceptance? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I don't want to be a truck driver trying to deliver across the state line. I can tell you that. Well, they are state, they're they're state. Just because like Oregon sits in there 
and then the the state to the north, the south, and uh, Nevada. So they don't have to break the the plane of anything that's a prohibitionist state, and I and I think that's how they're going to try to make the case. And then they have uh, because it's it, those states, and those are the state laws. Uh, if that federal prohibition goes through at the end of this year to expand the defunding of the Department of Justice, not just for medical marijuana's for state laws, but for all state law marijuana, it could work. But anyway, I really want to thank you, Andy Patricia from the Cannabis Facility Construction Company for coming and just, just educating us. Yeah, it was good. I appreciate it. Uh, really enjoyed it and glad to be on anytime that, uh, that you'd like. Glad to come back. We have a lot of questions. It's like, you know, now that I know the, the ballpark's on there, I can hear the clients right now going like, I have to raise how much money? Like, well, look, guys, come on. It's, I realize it's new entrance, social equity, but it, any business that you start has an upfront cost, an overhead. And then you talk about real estate. And then you talk about the regulations involved with the letters of the law. And boy, it can get expensive. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the one, the one parting shot I would give you is that Anybody wanting to get into it needs to make sure that they're funded properly because uh, we've seen people, even in Illinois, when they first got into it, they didn't fund themselves enough. They didn't raise enough capital and uh, they were forced to either sell to somebody else or, or just close their doors. And it is, it, it, you know, new business or not, every business today requires a lot of capital. And specifically when you're manufacturing something that, uh, or, you're, or you're selling something retail, you got to make sure that you got enough capital or, or it's going to be a very short, uh, short life. Very true. Anything to add for, uh, to the good of the order, Mickey? No, nope, just come back next Wednesday. Check us out as we shoot the shit on Weed News. Absolutely. Co is your website, and I can't wait to hear about the next article. Mine, you know, you just got to Google Cannabis Lawyer and then go to my website, Cannabis Industry Lawyer, and you'll find me. And I'm sure if you Google Cannabis Facility Construction, you will find this beautiful website and all their work. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.